Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. So, dear friends, uh, I'm excited about the... The holidays, um, I'm grateful and thankful, and the holidays I mean because Christmas, of course, the new year, uh, uh, I'm, I think our sanctuary is beautiful today. I haven't seen Mecca's yet, but I'm going to see it uh, here pretty soon. Um, these uh, poinsettias, I think, are beautiful, don't you? Uh, you know, as is our practice, uh, if you would like to uh, honor someone who has passed on that you know, you may... Uh, let us know about that and uh, give us $5, I think, for the small ones and 10 for the large, and we will put their name on that if you give uh, administrative assistant, and she's right over there, Jessica, let her know that. She will put their name on it, and uh, the Sunday after New Year or after the New Year celebration, you may take it home with you and, and uh, keep it for as long as you can keep it alive. Uh, I don't do well with that stuff, but I'm glad that there are some people that do, and so anyway. Friends, near as I can tell, um, I've preached in my pastoral career, um, well, I'll, I'll go over this year, I'll, well, early next year, I'll go over 5,000 messages. That's a lot. <laughs> 5,000 5, messages. You don't seem shocked. <laughs> That's a lot, okay? If you do, if you average three uh, a week, and I didn't always, uh, but over the many, many years of ministry that I've been to, in it, uh, that's, that's what you'll get. And you, what's interesting, over 3,000 of them are right here in this facility. Uh, that's pretty stunning if you think about it, 3,000. Not when we talking 300, 3,000. That's a long time. That's a lot of messages. And I, I can't remember what they were myself, let alone you remembered them, you know, and I, and I know you don't. But, you know, that means we've been together a long time. Uh, and it means that, uh, you know, um, you've heard a lot from me. And I, and I began to think about, man, if, if, if you've done 5,000 sermons or close to it, or 5,000 messages and sermons together, what, out of one manuscript? You can really find that much material in one manuscript? And you know what? We're not, we're, we're not, we're not even close to scratching the surface. And I think of the pastors out there like Charles Spurgeon and others that, you know, had, you know, better than 20 or 30,000 messages in their lifetimes. That's, that's unbelievable to me. 20 or 30,000 messages on one manuscript. And all of them have said, Billy Graham said he felt he had done close to 100,000. <laughs> wow. And you know what he said? He said, I, I, I don't believe I've done it justice. I don't, I don't think I've done all it needed to do. He said, I was thinking, and this was, this was just a few weeks before his death. He said, you know, he's telling, telling his son, frankly, he said, I don't, I don't think I was able to do what needed to be done. I don't think there was enough time, and God gave me a lot. That means that the Word of God is rather amazing, doesn't it? That there's so much in there. I learn something new every time I crack it. Anybody? As we continue in our, our series this morning, uh, answers from Hebrews, why did Jesus come for our Mecca campus? What you don't know is that every single message I'm doing throughout the Christmas season, none of it, none of it comes from the Gospels. None of it. I've not, I can't, I can't believe that I'm going to do a sermon series that none of it, come, and I'm going to reference the Gospels, but none of it's coming from the traditional stories of Jesus' birth. All of it comes from the book of Hebrews because it tells us not only that Jesus came, but why He came. And I think that knowing why is more important than how sometimes. And so as we look at it, why did Jesus come this morning is Jesus came to sanctify us. 
And it shouldn't be Jesus came to be sanctified us. That's a typo. That's on me. But Jesus came to sanctify us. And it comes from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 11 to 13. If you have your Bibles, turn there with me and listen to hear what the writer of Hebrews has to say. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from the Father. Understand that. Now, some verses may say to make holy, because that's exactly what sanctification means, okay? For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from the Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brethren in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him, and behold, I and the children whom God has given me. Now, that has to be the Christ. But the quote is from the Old Testament. You understand that? So Jesus is speaking from the Old Testament. And people would say, well, here's the thing. If Jesus didn't say it, then I'm not going to believe it. And they discount everything else in the Scripture unless it's a red letter and, they, and Jesus spoke in the New Testament. Jesus spoke a lot more than just His own words out of His own mouth. He spoke through the prophets of the Old Testament, amen? And He spoke through the Apostle Paul and the disciples He appointed in the New Testament, amen? And when someone tells you that's not true, tell them it's hogwash, it is true. And they need to get educated and know what they're talking about before they have opinions. I get, I get angry. I do. I get literally fur infuriated when people tell me that I don't listen to the Apostle Paul. Well, you ought to, because <laughs> Christ appointed him. <laughs> Specifically, after he had resurrected. Amen? Wow. And after he had ascended, yeah? He came back to earth in some form in order to talk to the Apostle Paul one-on-one -on -one and appoint him as his missionary. And his spirit taught the Apostle Paul certain things that nobody in the history of mankind had ever been taught. Is that true? It is true. So we better listen. As we learned last week, Jesus actually came to be our substitute. But that isn't the only reason He came. He demands some things from us. And I, I admit, I, 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 I'm not necessarily a good rule follower sometimes. Greg, I, you didn't need, I didn't even ask people to raise their hands yet. And Greg's already back there. <laughs> well, we get along so good, probably. But anyway, so, I mean, I suspect a lot of you aren't real good rule followers. Here's what we'll do. Even in the military, we do it, okay? In the military, I, I, I'm going to tell you something. If I, if, I, if I give a subordinate an order, they darn sure better follow it. Because <laughs> if they don't, it's going to be bad news. Because if people question my orders and don't follow them to the letter, immediately people die. Or more people die. It happens. And yet, I also, as an officer, understand that certain orders that are given are not lawful and should not be followed. It isn't very often, but it does happen. And it doesn't matter who's giving the order. You may not like them, but if it's a lawful order, you obey it. And you don't always have the right to question whether it's lawful or not. Because sometimes there's not time for that. And yet, we do it in everything in life. I've seen it over and over and over again. Everybody in here has done it. I assure you, you have. How many of you have ever gone around uh, the train crossing with the lights are they're down and the lights are flashing? Does it matter if a train's there or not? No. Guess the law. But we've all done it. In fact, I did just the other day. There was no train anywhere in sight. And I know that something set it off, and it, there it is, you know. And I, I, it would be kind of silly to sit there and say, well, you know, a train's supposed to be coming. It must be invisible, but it's coming. Probably, if, you know, on this track, a train's coming, and it would be too long. Okay. I've seen, who, who's turned down the wrong way on a one-way street? Anybody? It's not hard to do, is it? No. Were you supposed to do it? What's that? I just backed out. <laughs> I had one person, 
uh, get uh, okay. So if if you're on a one way street and you're and you're and you're turning left onto another one way street going left, it's legal to turn left on red. Did you know that? Some people say you can't turn left on red. Yes, you can. In that situation, that's the only one. Right? But there are a lot of rules that we break. I bet you break rules at the office or at work sometimes. Huh? Come on. I know you break them in church. Okay? That's who we are. God demands things from us, and we don't necessarily always like being demanded. We don't like to have rules. We don't like things demand. We don't want people to tell us what to do. We don't want anyone to tell us what to do. There's a massive disdain for law enforcement these days. Right or wrong, there's a disdain. And when people say to me, you know, the officer didn't have a right, it doesn't, if, if, it's called, if the officer gives you an order, it's a lawful order, you have to follow it. It doesn't matter if you like it or not. If you think he was wrong or think she was wrong, then take it up in court. Make, file a case against them. But if they tell you to do something, you have to do it. It doesn't matter if you think they're right or wrong. You must follow the lawful order of a law enforcement officer who did not know that. If they tell you to get out of the car, get out of the car. Okay? Get out of the car. Because they're not going to do that unless they have a right to do it. They have probable cause. I'm telling you. These are things that people don't get. If your teacher tells you to do something, do it. If your principal tells you to do something, do it. If your parents tell you to do something, do it. Right? That's, it doesn't matter if you think it's right or wrong. If your boss tells you to do something or not do something, do it or don't. Right? And it doesn't matter if they're watching you or not. Because God says, follow the orders of those above you. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he says. And here's the thing. If we won't listen to one another, what makes you th who we can see and we can get in trouble right away? What makes you think we're going to follow the demands of a God that we can't necessarily see and we don't think we'll do anything about it in the present? Wow, right? Now, I know, friends, that we like the idea that Jesus took our place. How many of you like it that he's your, He was your substitute? We prefer that because the alternative you wouldn't want, trust me. I wouldn't want to go through what he did, and I certainly don't want to go through what I'll get if he hadn't. Okay? But see, we want him to take our place, but yet we want to continue to do whatever we want. The Bible is clear that God demands not only a lifestyle change, but he demands that we accept and follow his commands and to become like him in every way. There is not one church on the face of the planet that's Christian that doesn't believe that. It doesn't matter what their theology is, and it certainly doesn't matter what their denomination is or what name's on the front door. Every Christian church believes that. Now, that doesn't mean the people in the congregation believe it, but the church itself does. And that includes being sanctified. And I've literally had people when I spoke at, in the Emmaus community, tell me, our church doesn't use that word. Well, that's a shame because it's scriptural. It's biblical. You just read it. <laughs> Amen? It's in there. That must be a Wesleyan term. No, it's a biblical term. Okay? God demands that we be sanctified. So here's the question. What is it? Actually, what is sanctification? Well, it means to be or make holy. And the Bible says over and over that God is holy. How many of you knew that? God says, be holy. Why? Because I am holy. We're called to be holy because He is. Revelation 4.8 says, each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now, you think about that. I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that my grandmother had eyes all the way around too. I didn't see them, but she had them. But this, this creature has it. Holy, holy. I've never seen a creature with that many eyes. Have you? We will one day. And we're also going to find out just how holy God is. <laughs> Amen? You see, the problem is nobody wants to be holy. How many of you, how many of you believe that? People really don't want to be holy. 
How many of you are not convinced? See, you're not raising your hand either way. But let, let, go, go with me here for a minute. Do you know we're a society that wants the middle of the road? We want the middle of the road in everything. We don't want to be extreme one way or the other. That's why we're called moderates. Even in politics, people want us to be moderate. Well, friends, I have news for you. That might be what the devil wants, but God says, I don't want a moderate. I'm not inter interested in a moderate. Why then do we struggle so hard to be one then? You ever notice that? We've been taught to be moderate. The enemy wants us to be moderate, yet God says, be holy and don't be lukewarm. In fact, he says in Revelation, I'm going to spit you out. I'd rather you be hot or cold. Don't, don't be in the middle. But lukewarm is what we desire. But you don't want people thinking we're too extreme one way or the other. You see, this is, this is the plan of our arch enemy, Satan. That's what he wants. If he can get us to like the middle of the road, we'll be in the middle of the road in everything, including our religion, including our theology, including our Christianity. Which means if we're in the middle of the road, we will accept certain things in the Scripture and denounce others. We'll pick and choose what we like and what we don't because we don't want to be extreme. We don't want anybody to call us a holy roller. I have news for you. The Bible says that God wants a peculiar people. And if they want to call me peculiar because I'm different from the world, but it saves me, I'm in. You can call me peculiar all day long if I can have eternity. Anybody? Jesus came to sanctify us in order to reconcile us back to God. You see, we were separated. How many of you knew that? that you were separated. See, most of the time we don't. I, I think a lot of people don't understand that they were separated until they've been saved and have gone into their Christian life for a while. Then they understand that they were separated before. But they don't. Because we don't, we don't look at things the way God does. We don't see separation. We don't see distance like He does. Our standards are different. More to that in a minute. But bringing us back to God is what makes us holy. But it requires a decision to be holy and then a desire to remain holy. I think everybody likes the idea of getting saved but not sure that they want to do the things required to stay saved. Now, you know, there might be churches down the street that would disagree with me, but there are entire denominations that do agree. Okay? John 17, 11 and 17 and 19 I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. I don't think Jesus is messing around here. He's talking to the Father about sanctifying you and me. As he is sanctified in the Father, we can also be sanctified in the Father. Why? Because that's the only thing that gives us eternal life. You understand that? Well, what about a person that gets saved and dies the next day? Well, their sanctification is complete. It is, because that's as far as they could go. Initial sanctification took place, yeah? That's salvation. See, we, we always have these questions that we shouldn't. What we should just do is follow the commands. Don't question it, just follow it. You see, the other problem we have is that we desire all what God offers. Heaven, eternal life, His protection here on earth, blessings, an advocate, help when we need it, and our needs met. Everybody in here wants that. And, and, and there's even some things we didn't mention that we want. But we just don't seem to want what God requires of us. We just don't seem to want what God requires of us. Now, we may do it, but I don't know that we want it. Does that make sense? Sometimes we do things out of obligation or sense of it. We think that since God says it, well, I'll do it. But our hearts aren't right because we're arguing with ourselves whether we should do it or not or the validity of why God required it. Nobody in here has ever done that but me, I bet. Again, we want moderation, middle of the road. Otherwise, we feel like we aren't doing what we want to do. And isn't it our life anyway? 
I can't tell you in the last week how many people have told me it's either my life or you only live once. I can't tell you how many people told me that this last week during counseling or other, other things. That is very short-sighted to think either one of those two things. No, you live twice or not. You can live once. I'd rather live twice. How about you? Huh? And the Bible says that's what living really is. So it means to make holy or be holy. It also means to set apart or to dedicate. Now, not everybody has this amazing gift of being dedicated back to God, being set apart for Him. That's the peculiarity that Paul was talking about. When we're set apart to God, we're a peculiar people. But God says we're kings and priests with Him. I'm in. Are you? So here's the thing. Those who have never given their lives to Christ are not set apart. Do you understand that? If you've never given your life to Christ, you are not set apart as holy. You're not set apart as God's. Is that a new concept to anybody? It might be. You see, people struggle with this. And there's two reasons why they do. First of all, many people believe that all humans are children of God. How many of you thought that? Who's thought, who has thought in their life that all, all created humans are children of God? Who's thought that? Yeah, you're not. You're God's creation, but you're not His children. And sometimes people like, they do that dog look, that, that me. Yeah. Right? Well, I always thought, yeah, that was your first problem. You always thought something. What you should have done is research the Scripture to find out. Agreed? Well, can you prove that, Pastor? Oh, more times I can count. But I'm just going to give you a couple. You see, we know this isn't true. We know that all, all humans are not God's children. They are His creation, but they're not His children. We know it isn't true because the Bible says it isn't. Jesus told the Pharisees in John 8, 44, that they were of their father, the devil. Well, if you're children of God, then how can they be the father of the devil? You can't be both. This clearly means that they didn't belong to God and therefore not His children. Amen? Paul likewise told us in 2 Timothy 2.19, the Lord knows them that are His. That means some people aren't His. Agreed? Okay? It means that not everybody belongs to God. Yes, we are all God's creation. We are definitely not all God's children. That requires us to be adopted into God's family. And there is a process for that. You understand? Another reason people struggle with this is that they don't believe that they've done anything that is bad. I run across people all the time who aren't Christians, but think they are because they identify with Christianity, but they've never given their heart to Christ, and they certainly don't live like one, okay? And they'll even admit that they don't. They'll say, well, I don't follow all the rules in the, in, in, in the Bible, and I don't follow the rules of a church. Well, the church rules ought to be the biblical rules, Okay? And if you don't follow them, then you're not a Christian. You know? I told you guys before about that girl that, who was 17 and was swore to me she was a vampire. Remember that? I told you time and again about her. And so she kept telling me she's a vampire. I said, no, you're not. Yeah, yeah, I am. Well, first of all, vampires don't exist. Now, there were people back in Vlad the Impaler's day that, you know, used to drink people's blood, but it's not quite the same thing. You know? Now, I, I personally think vampire movies are hilarious. I, I watch them for entertainment. But the fact of the matter is, Twilight's not real. You, you knew that, right? Please tell me you knew that Twilight's not real. Okay. But she was adamant, 17 years old, and this is a girl getting ready to go to college the next year, and I was seriously scared for her way to make it in college because you think you're a vampire. I said, come outside. I said, well, outside. I said, I, I, I said that, that's not high enough. Let's go over here. So I, said, I, looked, I looked at the sanctuary. I said, jump up on there. Well, I can't do that. Then you ain't a vampire. Right? Come on. Just because you think something doesn't make it true. Just because you identify it doesn't make it true. God determines whether you're his child or not. You don't. You don't. He does. Now, he has invited you to be. Yeah. He's invited everybody to be. So he determines whether you are or not. You see, people want to use human standards to determine what's good. 
I can't tell you again in my pastoral career how many people tell me, well, I might not follow the rules of the church, but I'm a good person. Really? Says who? Says who? You? You think you're a good person? Good for you. That doesn't make, make a difference. Well, you're harsh. No, I'm biblical. I'm biblical. You see, Jesus wouldn't even allow the people of his day to call him good. You and I would say Jesus was good, wouldn't we? He, and when they called him good, he said, why do you call me good? Only the Father's good. Didn't he say that? And he indicated that no human can be good in their own right. That's what he's trying to say. And the only way Jesus was going to be good is if he was sanctified and connected to the Father. That's it. Same for you and me. We are not good until we're connected to the Father. Do you understand? Secondly, humans have different standards than God does. Like we said before, we think that if we don't hurt, if we don't steal, if we treat others well most of the time, then the list goes on and on and on. Well, that, may, that means we're good. You see, we don't realize or even want to believe that we're sinful and we deserve death. I didn't believe it until I understood it. How am I doing so far? In fact, most people in our society today think that God is harsh and unreasonable. But they believe that Jesus was wonderful. Because He was all about love and mercy and forgiveness and compassion. And the Father's not. He's an exact representation of the Father. We just talked about this this morning with Pastor Chris. Jesus is an exact representation of the Father. He came to fulfill the Father's law, not abolish it. The Father's compassion, compassionate, that's why He sent the Son. And aren't you grateful for that? You see, they're one and the same. An exact representation. He said, the Father and the Son are always in agreement. But we've got this idea that we'll go to Jesus and He'll lower the standards a little bit so that we, so God won't be so harsh on us. No. Did Jesus allow Judas off the hook? No. Why? Because He knew what He'd chosen. Could He have? Yeah. But He knew He wouldn't. We've got to get this in our heads. We need to get it in here. We need to teach before we come in contact with it. When they say those things, they're wrong. God does not compromise. He will not compromise. And there will be judgment. And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just telling you the way it is. Right? And since people typically don't believe that everybody has sinned and falls short of the glory of God, because, again, they use human standards, whether they're good or not, then all of a sudden they don't understand that they have a need for a Savior. Does the Bible tell us that every single person has need of a Savior? Does it matter how good you think you are? No. No, it doesn't. And yet God has demanded from the beginning of time that humans choose Him and become holy like Him. Did you know that? Guys, come on. Yes or no? Did you know it? If you didn't, say you didn't know it. I'll teach you. Okay? He said it from the beginning of time. In fact, He has given us specific instructions in order that we do it. He has set apart an entire day that we are to dedicate to Him. Did you know that? We don't typically, but He's done it. Amen? How many of you know that that's what, that's what it is? Now, I realize that some people get bent out of shape when, when uh, others go out to eat on Sunday and things like that. I, I, think, I think that might be a little bit much. I, I think in earlier days we maybe took it too close to the letter of the law than the spirit of it. But here's the problem with that. Once we relax it, now people have just totally destroyed keeping the Sabbath holy. You see? So I understand why the early church did it that way. I get it. We've gone too far. The pendulum swung way too far. Now, Sunday's just another day. Do whatever you want. Now, I realize people have to work on Sunday. I get that. God's not talking about that. He's talking about taking a day that you're not working that's dedicated to Him. Yeah? Does it matter if it's Sunday or not? That's the day that He's given us, but it could be another if you work on it. We have to have first responders. We have to have medical people. We have to, you, right? 
you have to do it. And some your job requires it. I get it. But take time to separate yourself and give it to God. God, God will accept that. Amen? Because the heart is right, you see. He knows and He understands. God demands first place in our lives. Did you know that? And He will not compromise or give in on it either. I know you want Him to. I know you tried to make Him do it. You've pleaded with Him. You've even assumed He would allow it. He doesn't. Listen to these, uh, these words. Because God will not allow us to cheat on Him. He, he will not be merciful at judgment for those who refused. Did you know that? I think some people think there's not going to be judgment because of Jesus. Oh, wrong. There will be judgment. And Christ is going to it's going to break his heart that people wouldn't accept and do what the Father demanded. Genesis 2, 1 to 3, Exodus 13, 2, Numbers 3, 12 to 13, Exodus 29, 42 to 44, Exodus 30, 26 to 29, Nehemiah 13, 22, and Jeremiah 1, 5. You ready? Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it He rested from all the work of creating that He had done. Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb from the, among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. I have taken from the Levites from among the Israelites in place of the first male offspring of every Israelite woman. The, Levi, the Levites are mine, for all the firstborns are mine. When I struck down the firstborn in Egypt, I set apart for myself every firstborn in Israel, whether animal or human. They are mine. I am the Lord. For the generations to come, this, to come, this burnt offering is to be made regularly at the entrance to the tent of meeting before the Lord. There I will meet with you and speak to you. There also I will meet with the Israelites, and the place will be consecrated by my glory. So I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar, and will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. Then use it to anoint the tent of meeting, the ark of the covenant law, the table and all its articles, the lampstand and its accessories, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering, and all the utensils, and the basin with it stand. You shall consecrate them so they will be most holy, and whatever touches them will be holy. Then I commanded the Levites to purify themselves and to do guard and go to guard the gates in order to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember this for me, this also, my God, and show mercy to me according to your great love. For I formed you, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. God's saying, I want people set apart to me, and I want a day set apart to me, and I will not compromise on it. I will have the first fruits of what you have, period. People say, what if I can't tithe? Well, <laughs> I'd say you find a way because God demands the first fruits of what, and if you've gotten yourself in a situation or you don't make, there's other you have to do. You have to give God the first part of what you receive. And then the rest, you can do what you want. He demands the first 10%. And people say, I can't do it. Well, find a way. Because I, I can't, I can't, now I realize that times get tough sometimes. We can't, I, I realize that. But God never changed the ruling here. And not only that, there are things that we can do. Then give, then give part of your time and, and, and talent then for that, for that time. But that's only for a portion of the time, see. You eventually got to get back to giving God the first fruits of what you have made. And you know what? God wants more than that. He wants you to do it cheerfully, for one. And number two, He wants you to give more than 10%. God wants you to give as much as you possibly can. He doesn't require more than that, but he desires more than that. In fact, God says, I will you bless me, I will bless you back. That's a fact. And here's the thing. You will never outgive God. I have had people tell me again and again and again, Billy, am I right? Yeah. Billy knows. It works, don't it? <laughs> Just saying. So I, I don't ever want to keep from God what's his. I think it's safe to say that God planned and commanded this holiness business from the beginning. And he takes it pretty seriously. What do you think? Here's another thing you need to understand. Those who are not sanctified are not holy. Those who are not sanctified are not holy. Did you hear what I said? I know this might be a little bit over your heads, but it doesn't need to be and it shouldn't be. Because if you were in the Word of God, you would understand what I'm saying. Maybe not at first, but eventually you would get it. 
Because God wants the things of the Bible to come clear to us, doesn't He? And listen, do you think the first time I cracked the Scripture, I knew what He was talking about? I didn't. I, would, I think it would be safe to say in the first couple of years, I didn't understand. And even now, sometimes I still don't. But that doesn't keep me from being in there. And the things that I don't understand are the things I look at. How about you? My granddad used to tell me, the subject in school that you hate the most are the ones you've got to study the hardest in. And sometimes I don't care for what the Scripture is saying or what I think it's saying. And so I spend more time there to understand my Heavenly Father so that I no longer am in, dis in dispute with Him. Because everything God does is for a reason, whether we understand it or not. Friends, holiness begins at initial sanctification. Okay? When you got saved. Getting saved is initial sanctification. You understand that? These words aren't in dispute. Everybody agrees with it. Okay? This then is what begins the process of becoming holy. When you aren't saved, you aren't holy. And if you aren't in the sanctification process, then you can't be in the process of becoming holy. Does that make sense? Because this is what sanctification is. In fact, salvation alone is not enough. Some people get saved and they never do anything more. Stop right there. Problem with it is you can lose it. I don't think it's that easy to do, but people, I think people have lost it. Why? Because the Bible says that they have. It says that when you walk away, it's nearly impossible to come back. Doesn't it, Pastor Chris? It's nearly, doesn't it, Pastor Bob? It's nearly impossible to come back. Okay? Why? Because if you, if, you, if you have tasted of the Lord, see that He is good, and then you walk away from it, then who's got you? Not the Lord. Satan. And you'll like what He's doing so well that it's almost impossible to break ties and go back. Not that you can't, but the devil has you so, so closely that you probably won't. That's what the Bible indicates to us. God demands us to be holy, and He demands that we be sanctified. In fact, Jesus prayed for it. John 17, 13, and 19. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth, for your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they themselves may also be sanctified in truth. Friends, that is Jesus himself, and he has talked about the process that begins at salvation and continues throughout our lives. He demands it. He even prays to the Father that we would receive it. There it is. You see, when we're not sanctified, then we aren't holy. And when we aren't sanctified and we aren't holy, it separates us from Him all over again. You understand? It separates us from Him all over again. Isaiah 59, 1-2, Romans 2, 5-7. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, or His ear dull, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Now, if there's a separation, and He was your God at one time, and now there's a separation, you're separated from Him. You understand? It isn't that you were never with Him. He says He was your God at one time, and now He's not. That means something happened, didn't it? Okay? And your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. That's, that's Isaiah. But because of your hand and impenitent heart, you are stored up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who did not, he won't. That's a fact. It's right there. So what, I, what I'm saying to you is that you can be saved and lose it. And if you aren't saved and then working toward entire sanctification in the process of sanctification, you will never be holy. Your holiness will depend on the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit within you each and every day. Am I right, pastors? That's exactly what it means. Friends, that's where we have to be. So, secondly, why or what did Jesus bring to our sanctification? What, what is it about sanctification that He brought to us? And this, this is massive, 
okay? And I want you to grasp this. First of all, there are three aspects, and it's all Wesleyan theology, and all, but all evangelicals believe it, okay? All evangelical denominations and churches believe what I'm about to teach you. In fact, almost all Christian religions believe most of it, if not all of it, okay? What separates us is not this. It's other things, okay? The initial work of sanctification when you place your faith in Christ is salvation. That's what it is, okay? This is when we got saved, and at that moment, the process of making us holy begins. We call this progressive sanctification as we go through, the, go through it, okay? It begins initial sanctification. Now I'm not completely there, but I'm working on it, and God is changing me every day. Does that make sense? Anybody growing every day in Christ? That's it. That's it. And some days you fail, right? And some days you feel horrible. And other days you get it back and feel joy again. But you're working on it. I hate it, friends. I hate it when I know I disappointed God. Anybody? Yeah. <clears throat> it's a journey. It's where God is changing you a little at a time from the inside out. And obviously, since it's all new to us, we need to learn. And it sometimes takes a little time to break poor behavior and some poor habits. Anybody been there? Some people have been at it way too long, though. Some people have been at it a lifetime. That's a sermon for another day. But here's what happens. We have bad language sometimes, simple practices. It may shock you, but, you know, you know I was a Marine, so, and most Marines I know have kind of a potty mouth. Not all of them, some of them. And, and I, I could use certain words as an art form, okay? I know that shocks people sometimes, but I'm telling you. And, and, and one very wise person once told me, you could take all those swear words out, and it wouldn't change what you're trying to say one bit. It would make it look a lot smarter, too. <laughs> you know what? Uh, I kind of took that to heart. But I still didn't give it up completely. But you know what? I asked the Lord when I became a Christian, I really became a Christian, because I'd been in the church my whole life as a kid, but I kind of ran from it. And then when I came back as an adult, that's a long story too, but I said, Lord, I struggle with this potty mouth, and God said, I can help you, and he did. Cold turkey. I, I, I'm kidding. See, there's a difference between God delivering you from that and you watching your P's and Q's, which is pints and quarts in British, for the British, it's pints and quarts. So you're watching your P's and Q's in front of the church people. There's a difference from, than that from being delivered. Because if you're watching your P's and Q's, you'll slip up. And it's happened, hasn't it? Somebody's done it around me, too. And I think, and it's not me you got to worry about. <laughs> right? See, but there's more than just that. Friends, it's a general attitude of who you are. It's a, it's, a, it's a change of who you are, inside out. And you know the thing is, God demands it, but He's patient with us. Man, is he patient. He, he's been patient with me, I'm telling you. I'm, I'm still impatient, and he's patient. If you get behind me and you're not going to speed limit, I'm going to be impatient. I promise you. Last night, we were going over to that, what did we go to, Carol? Was Carol here? Oh, uh, we went to the journey. Yeah, you guys went with us. Okay, yeah. So we went to the journey over to, anybody seen that over at First Christian Church in Brazil? If you haven't gone, go tonight, because we have services, go to it. It's awesome. It goes eight it's six to eight, six to nine, I think. And, it, and it's, it's, you, you actually go through a journey um, of what um, people going into Bethlehem that night might have gone through. The Roman soldiers are there and how they ha harass people. You'll see the, 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 the astrologers, the wise men. You'll see the shepherds. You'll see it's really cool. You should go. Doesn't cost you a thing. But anyway, so we're going over there, and, and I'm going down I-70 to get off at 46 if we were over on the other side of town. And... There was a car that got off, and I swear the car on the off-ramp was doing 20 miles an hour. Why? I know for a fact that the speed limit on the off-ramp is 40, so what are you doing? And I'm thinking, I, I, I can't. It's a flaw. I know it. I, I get it. And the Lord is working on me. He is. But I've been at it a while. And I'm grateful that that's what it is and not something that's really horrible. But the fact of the matter is, to God, it doesn't matter. He wants your very best, and I'm not giving God my best with that, right? I mean, see, see this is, I, I'm, you see, I'm, 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 I'm me, I'm human. But God still wants more from me. 
He desires more from me. He desires more from you too. And you'll be delighted when he gets it because it'll change you in ways that you never thought possible. And here's what happens. He's transforming us into being exactly like his son. I want that. Do you? At first, there's these big changes. Everybody notices it. And the people, I've had women in Emmaus go up to me and say, who's that? Where's my husband? What are you done with him? Right, Bernie, have you seen that? Yeah. Who else has been Emmaus and seen that? Yeah. There's a, I mean, when I got saved and then I, you know, and I became a pastor, when I went to, I hadn't gone to my high school reunion uh, for 30 years. No lie. I didn't go to, until 30 years. And I went to the 30-year reunion, and, and they said, what do you do? And I said, I'm a pastor. And I'm like, no. They all, I'm, I'm serious. They all said that. I thought you were in the Marines. That I was. You're a pastor. Yeah. I can't believe it. And, and people who heard it through the grapevine, and we, we had a 1,000 kids in our class, right? That's a, that's a big class. And, and people kept coming up to me all night long saying, I heard that you're a pastor. It ain't true. Yeah, it is true. Oh, no. What are you really doing? right? Because they knew what I was. And, but see, and the, the transformation was so huge, they didn't recognize me. I'm telling you, friends, that's Christ. That's how He changed me. Anybody identify with that? Has God changed you that much? It's a, one, it's a complete 180. You're completely different. Now, see, then the process continues, and then God still making little changes. Now, other people might not see them because they're subtle, but you see them you know the changes that God's making in you. Anybody been there? Mm-hmm. See, that's, that's what God does. And we continue making progress as we get closer to God, and sometimes we slip back into the old self some. Yeah? And then we begin to apply His Word more and more. And God cleans each room in your house, including the closets. And you're delighted with the changes. That's the initial work of sanctification. And then comes the completed work of sanctification. Some people call this entire sanctification, and perhaps it is. I struggle with that because I think people think that they get kind of prideful at that point. They get kind of, I've arrived now. No, you haven't. <laughs> in fact, God's going to continue to do more work with you. It just means that God has taken out this desire for sinfulness from you. That's what He's done. It's where the believer has changed so much and are found the Lord with their whole heart. Now, they might fall on occasion, but it isn't very often. And it devastates them when they disappoint God. Wesley said it was a definite second work of grace where the Holy Spirit has so much control in your life that the desire for sin and sinful activity is no longer there. And not only that, you want to please God so much that you won't tolerate sin in others when they do. doesn't mean you hate on them. It means you don't tolerate it. You're not going to tell them, it's okay, bless your heart. No, it's not okay. Stop it. You encourage people to be better, yeah? You're in constant contact with Him. You're encouraging others to seek Him as well. This is when we look exactly like the Christ, and yes, we can do that. I know people say it's impossible to be just like Jesus, but it isn't. If it weren't possible, would He have demanded it? No. If it weren't possible to be like Jesus in every way, friends, could we have done it? No. We couldn't. If it weren't possible, we couldn't do it. Agreed? If it weren't possible, He wouldn't have ordered it, would He? Now listen to me. Are you hearing me? Friends, if, if Jesus said, be like me completely, can you do it? Is Jesus perfect? Uh-huh. What does that mean? What can you be? Mm-hmm. Wesley said, no human he ever knew had ever done it, but it's possible. If you are so much like the Christ that there's no deviation, and people couldn't tell the difference between you and him, would you be perfect? Yes. It doesn't matter either way. You're going to be presented perfect anyhow. Yeah? Aren't you grateful for that? But friends, when the devil says to you through other people that you can't be perfect, that means he's lowered the standards so you don't have to try. No, no, no. No, no. God wants more than that from you. He demanded it of the Son, and He demands it of you. And that's exactly what we have to do.
Now, see, the devil wants us to believe that we can't, so we'll keep doing it. Keep doing what we want. But God commands that we do it. And with the help of the Holy Spirit within us, we can. Jesus said it, it was absolutely true. Listen, Matthew eleven twenty nine to 30. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In other words, live by my commands. Live my lifestyle. It's different from the world's lifestyle, but it isn't difficult. You may think it is, but it really isn't. And if you do, you'll find peace and rest like you've never dreamed of before. Isn't that what he's saying to us in there? The third aspect is continuing the process of sanctification as you present yourselves to God. Basically, we present ourselves to God every day. Did you know that? How many of you thought of it that way? And maybe this is a better way to tell you, because I think sometimes we misinterpret it, and that's why we don't do it. You are presenting yourself to God every single day. Friends, let me ask you a question. How many of you got up out of bed this morning? Some of you might think you're still there. Wake up, you're not. <laughs> okay? Every one of you got up this morning. How many of you took a shower or some kind of a bath? How many of you threw water in your face and cleaned up a little bit? How many of you washed the sleep out of your eyes? How many of you put some makeup on? No guys raise their hands. That's good. <laughs> it excites me. I was worried about that question. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so I'm assuming you all combed your hair or did something with it. How many of you put on different clothes than you slept in? If you're sleeping, if you're in the same clothes you slept in, Make an appointment with me forthwith. <laughs> anyway, you, did you know, and why did you do those things today? To make yourself presentable. To whom? It wasn't for God. It, you, it, it, it is, but you didn't think of it that way. You know why? Because we don't as people. Sometimes we do. But most of the time, we're afraid of what other people would think of us. Now, come on. We're being honest here, wouldn't we? Isn't that, isn't that what we're doing? Did you ever think of it, it was for God first? Because if we thought we were presenting ourselves to God first, we would not wear some of the clothes that we do to the places that we go, would we? Now, I'm not going to tell you what you should or shouldn't wear, and I'm not, I don't care if you wear shorts or blue jeans here, but I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes we need to give God better than that. If we're presenting ourselves to God first before anybody else, you tell me what we should do. Amen? Just saying. And, and let, let's go a little bit further than that. Do you want to look and act your best too? Yeah. I would think so. Sometimes we don't, right? And then we're like, oh, gosh. Then you got to go face those people that you didn't act your best with. And that's kind of painful, isn't it? Yeah. Happens, though. And I've done it more times than I can count. And, boy, doesn't that humble you? we got to go back and ask for forgiveness. Or to apologize or to tell me to do it better. Listen, we've all done it. There ain't a person in here that hadn't done it, okay? It doesn't matter where either. I mean, I've really screwed it up at work before. Has anybody ever screwed up at work before? Yeah. Sometimes you've done it in a store too. See, I'm starting to lose my hearing. So sometimes I speak louder than I should. And my wife or my daughter will say, Dad, shut up. <laughs> I, I know you got that opinion, but the whole world doesn't need to know it. Of course, guys, who, who, who's had that done to them before? Uh-huh. Friends, I have to tell you, we're sometimes more concerned about how we look to people than we are to God. Sometimes we're more concerned about pleasing others and ourselves than we are about pleasing God. And I began to think, what's wrong with that picture? You see, God demands more and better, and, 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 and He should have it. Paul said we are to present ourselves as a living sacrifice to the Lord every day. Romans 12, 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Anything else is not proper worship. So how do we do it? I mean, everybody wants to know. How do I do it then? Well, there are three means, or what we call ways. Three means to do it. God's gracious work through the Holy Spirit is one, because without the Holy Spirit, you can't do it. 
If you try to do it on your own, you're going to fail. I know I've done it. Anybody here with me? Remember that protection that you want? We want protection, don't we? Well, God gives it through the Spirit, doesn't He? What about resolve? How many of you have ever tried a diet? Anybody? How are you doing with that? How many of you failed a diet before? Uh-huh. How many ever made a New Year's resolution? Maybe it was the diet. I don't know. But how many failed at that? It didn't take very long, did it? Were you able to stay on it, able to make it go through? Probably not. What about trying to spend time in prayer in the Word? Who's done that? You see, everybody has good intentions, yeah? How many of you have wanted to do it but ran out of time somehow? And before you knew it, a week's gone by and didn't do it at all. Anybody? Uh-huh. You see, this is exactly why we need the Spirit to stay on track, and the Spirit's going to help you. It will be contrary to what society says, and there always seems to be this muddy and murky water. You ever notice that? Where truth and right and maybe not so right kind of mix. I'm not talking about wrong. We can spot that typically. But what about the right and the not so right? That's, I think that's where we struggle. What do you think? More there than the right or the wrong, yeah? I think so. And then we'll make a deal with it. Well, maybe, maybe it's not so bad, yeah? And God says, I want your best. And here's what you have to ask yourself. Maybe it's not bad, but is it what's best? And if God wants my best, what do I give Him? You see, that, that's, that's one way of looking at it. And yet the Spirit is going to clarify it for us. John 14, 7 or 14, 17, 26, and 16, 13. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. Well, if they don't see or know Him, are they going to act like Christ? No. Are they going to ridicule you for doing it? Of course. But you know Him, for He lives with you and will be in you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. See, that's the small, still voice that you hear that you try to say, talk to the hand to sometimes. And then you listen to the other voice that's telling you, go ahead and do it. It's not that bad. I know because I've been there. And that brings us to the next way, God's gracious work through the Scriptures. You see, God encourages us through the Word when we don't know what to do or when we need to be reminded about what to do because I think sometimes it goes both ways. It brings us instruction, comfort, and assurance that we're doing the right things. You see, the Word of God is this incredible manuscript which is completely true and has never, ever, ever been disproven. If it were disproven, that would make headlines in every paper in the country, wouldn't it? You would, you would never hear the end of it if it was disproven, but it isn't because it never can be. But people are going to say this. They're going to say it was written by men, and therefore it's optional. I've heard it said many times. Well, others may want to pick and choose what they believe in it. I've seen that too. And others, even Christians, will only believe, again, we're going back to this, what Jesus Himself said in it when He actually spoke it. And that's dangerous. And it's disobedient. It's disobedient. The Apostle Paul said, all Scripture is inspired by God. All of it. And is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God, remember the children part, may be proficient and equipped for every good work. See, those that aren't, aren't God's children and don't belong to God, this is hogwash to them. It doesn't make any sense. And they're going to pick and choose. But they're going to quote it back to you when they want to make a point. Okay? That's, 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 that's the deal. I, I, I almost hate to get on uh, Yahoo anymore and, and read the news stories and then the comments because people that are quoting Scripture know nothing about the Scripture. And I tell them that. And I get thumb down after thumb down after thumb down. And then I type in there what it really means. And then I say, what about this scripture? What about that scripture? And they don't respond. They don't reply, but they put thumb down. You know why? Because we want to believe what we want to believe. 
100%. That's who we are. And who can forget the immortal words of James? Do not merely listen to the word. Do what it says. And we should probably take that page right out today because you know what? There's people in the church today that listen to it that aren't doing it. You know what? Sometimes it's me. Is it sometimes you? Sometimes. You see, friends, God's gracious work as you cooperate with Him, this is the reward part. That's the, and that's the third part of this. His gracious work as you cooperate with Him. When you cooperate with God, it's so much easier. You ever notice that? Anybody? Who, who, who knows that? You cooperate with God, do what He said, you, you're obedient, and doesn't things go better? This is what God does when we honor Him. And people have said, that's not biblical. Honor God, He'll honor you. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. I can't find it. Then you're not looking in the right place. It's not in there. Yes, it is. 1 Samuel 2.30, those who honor me, I will honor. But those who despise me will be disdained, will be despised. Uh, doesn't God say it? There it is. Romans 8, 13, listen to Paul. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, you will put to death the misdeeds of the body, and you will live. And here's excerpts from Revelation 2, verse 10, New Living Translation. I love this. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will suffer. But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. I think that's an amazing scripture. And some days I feel like I'm that one that's in that, in that part, in that wine press. You know what I'm talking about? Or that sifting. Yeah, you ever felt like you've been sifted? Yeah. There are going to be three results, friends, and they're real quick. As our worship team comes, listen carefully. If you do these things, you will be, number one, at peace with God. I don't know about you, but I, I really want to be at peace with God. Anybody want to be at peace with God? And I don't, I don't want to have to wait until the day He returns in the sky to try to seek that peace. I want to have the peace already. So when He comes, I'm still at peace. Because there's people that want peace with God, but they're going to miss it, and they won't be at peace. Now they're going to have to go through the Great Tribulation to get it. You did know that, right? I have peace in my heart now because if the Lord returns right now, I know where I'm going. There's no question in my mind I'm going. I know that I know. It doesn't matter how long I've been a Christian. It matters what I'm doing with it. As the hymn says, the vilest offender who truly believes. That moment from Jesus, a pardon received. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah, it is. You see, <laughs> there's going to be people who just got saved moments before he came. There's going to be people who've been Christians their whole lives. And the ones in the grave are going to rise and go to because they believed. You see? It's going to be a glorious day. You'll be at peace with God. Secondly, you will be at peace with others. And now, listen, there's some people, I have to be honest, I, I really struggle to like. Not very many, but there's some. And I know that there's people you know that they get on your absolute very last nerve. Anybody? And when that person comes around, they're like, no! Right? And let's go a little deeper. There's some people we don't like at all. But there's a difference from disliking someone and hating them. And I'm pretty sure that I was a person at one time that Christ might not have liked very much, but he sure did love me. Anybody? I want to be at peace with people because this is how we know we love the Father, that we love the brethren. Yeah? It doesn't say to love the world, and there's people in the world. It doesn't say to love them. Okay? You have to love what they can be, okay? But you have to love who they are. But we have to love the brethren regardless, those who are saved. God's children, we have to love one another, period. You understand that? And someday we're going to get some clarification on the other part. I know you're confused with that. That's a sermon for another day too. But we need to be at peace with one another. And thirdly, you know the most important person to be in peace with? Yourself. There's a war that goes within us sometimes, isn't there? I've been there, I know it, and I know you know it. God wants to fix it. 
He wants you to be at peace with yourself because if you're at peace with him and others, you'll always be at peace with yourself. Why you're not at peace with yourself is because one of the other two you're not at peace with. That's it. So that's what we need to get. Jesus came to earth to sanctify us. It begins with what God does in a person that he or she places faith in Christ as a Savior. And I began to think about that. And I thought, so what did God do for you when he saved you? Everybody in here ought to know that. What did God do for me? He continues to sanctify you as you follow him. And that brings some pretty good life benefits, don't you think? And it culminates with a retirement plan that is truly out of this world. Anybody? But God requires that we present ourselves to him every single day. So when you're getting made up tomorrow morning, think about who you're presenting yourself to first. Is it the traffic? Is it the person at the Starbucks counter? Is it the McDonald's drive through window? Is it your boss? Is it your coworkers? Is it your people at your school? Or is it him? Because everybody else is secondary when he's first. Amen? He wants you to surrender every single thing we think, speak, and act to him. And I began to think about that too, and I thought, okay, so what's the biggest challenge that you have in presenting yourself to God? What is it? He'll bring it to your, your, your forefront right now. What is it? Is there anything you really haven't put under God's control? Because I have to tell you, I, I think there are a couple things I hadn't really put under God's control because I thought, well, they're minor things, and, you know, I don't think God's asking. For, well, yeah, he is. He's asking for those control too. Is there anything that you want from God? That's okay. He's listening. He may say no, depending on what it is, but it's no, there's nothing wrong with wanting things from God. And most of the things he wants to give you. Jesus said so. He wants to give you every blessing that he can bestow upon you, and he wants to give it to you right now. You don't have to wait for heaven to get it. You can get it now. I want him. Do you? What's keeping you from him? And lastly, are you ready to receive it? There's no guilt or shame in that. Be happy to receive it. Allow him to sanctify you entirely.